Happy Monday and welcome back to another episode of Coast to Coast. What's going on, everybody? We have finally some Harden and Bead games to talk about. We got a Jazz Suns matchup to talk about. We got a crazy comeback from the Dallas Mavericks. Some same old, same old from the Lakers and a little surprise at the end. But before all that, my man, it's good to see you, Ronan. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling happy. I'm glad we're, we're getting to see Harden and Bede, and I'm glad they have got a, a great new nickname to, to don on the league, you know? Let's hear it. It's it's been it's been it's been dubbed Embeard. That's the new that's the new name for Harden for Harden and Embiid. I, I like it. I like it. Hey, you're happy. Harden looks happy. Embiid looks happy. Every, everyone looks happy. Um, I, I can't say New York looked happy after last night. Um, or really anyone there at the game for the seven hours it took to take a million free throws. <laughs> but but a lot of people are happy. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of Philly fans in the in the garden last night. So yeah, they were they were all pretty happy. <laughs> well let's dive right into it we got our first look friday night um minnesota against philadelphia which i thought was going to be a, a good game i thought we were going to get some competitive basketball um especially with the way that the timberwolves have been playing on the defensive end um you know they're not really going to stop and beat but man the way that the 76ers looked offensively in their first game together it looks great yeah, man. I mean, we we we've been waiting. This is what uh, this is this is Daryl Morey's master plan, right? Right? Right into action, right up, right off the bat, you know. And the the great thing you see is what everything that Harden and Embiid were doing that was almost a given for for most people. But the, what this is opening up for Tyrese Maxey is just it's yeah. it's unbelievable. The way he he's just the amount of open looks and open open lanes to drive for the basket that he's starting to get now. And the fact that he's able to make these plays, it's so huge for his development and, and really important for, for Philly, the way things are going, because everyone seems happy. Everyone seems to be loving it. Everyone except for Tobias Harris. He just seems, seems way out of whack and just not, not really, uh, not really in it uh, with, with Philly at the moment. Yeah, well, we'll get on to Harris in a second. We'll stay on Maxi because I, I want to talk about how how good he's looked next to Harden. And I think some people had the ridiculous thought that bringing in Harden is going to take away touches from Maxi and make it more difficult for him to develop, which is a valid concern for sure. You, you want to keep developing him in his second year. He's obviously, I, I think it's a it's a pretty well known fact that this kid is legit, and I think his ceiling is not known yet. But he's been very, very good this year, especially for a guy who came in the league as a combo guard and he was expected to be a point guard for much of the season. And you just brought in a true point guard and James Harden, who's going to be able to run the offense unselfishly. And Tyrese Maxey can finally slot in and really focus on what he's really good at, just scoring. And how many open looks he's had. I mean, you know, he's, he's, not, he's not bombing away from three. And I think... The, the ironic part of uh, the way that defenses have, have matched up against him the past couple games is they've given him space because, you know, he's not the best three-point shooter. He's going to get hot here and there. But he's attacked closeouts effortlessly, perfectly. Like, he's really done a great job collapsing the defense off of a closeout. And there's just so many ways now how the 76ers are getting easy buckets. Because, you know, if, if, it's not, if it's not on that initial action with 
James Harden getting it to Embiid or Embiid's going to the paint. They're likely getting it out to Maxi, who's either going to shoot a three, which he's been solid this year, but even better, he's going to attack the closeout and collapse the defense even more. I mean, I, I'm actually surprised that um, we didn't see Harris have a better game in the past couple of games because I, I thought he'd have a lot more opportunities to be shooting I mean, wide open shots, to be picking and popping, to be um, getting open from the mid-range. It's, I, I think it'll come around. But Maxi, at least, I mean, this is a really good sign for their partnership in the future. Yeah, 100%. Uh, he put up 28th uh, on Friday against the T-Wolves and uh, a solid 21 against uh, against the Knicks, including a fairly clutch three, just to kind of put it... Uh, Way beyond doubt, not that it was ever it was ever that close uh, <laughs> against against New York, but I think the, the the main thing for for Philly is this is his, kind of the two guard. He's he's a combo guard, and then he slots into the one whenever Harden's on the bench. And the way that it started off, it looks like that that sort of rotation is just going to work brilliantly for them, and it's going to be huge for for Maxi's development on the whole. And you hope that you think. The more open looks, he's going to get better shooting from three. Still only a young guy. And the fact that he is looking to attack the closeouts, looking to get in at the rim, that's also good as well because he's not the biggest guy. And you like to see that kind of determination and that 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 sort of effort from, from a guy like him. And the way it's going, I mean, you're kind of almost forgetting that Tobias Harris is, is there a little bit and you're thinking of Maxi as the uh, – as the third star on this team, maybe a bit, a bit premature. It feels like but it at the moment. That's definitely the way it's going. It feels like it, and I, and I think, I think that we'll see, we'll see him get his chance. We'll see him get his chance because um, it, it seems like the couple of sets that they've they've really liked running um, is this handoff with, with Maxi to and beat at the top. Harden swings over, gets a screen from Harris, and then he gets into his pick and roll action with. Embiid and you've seen that play run a few times where Harris is getting wide open he's just not getting the ball you know it's just a chemistry thing so I, I think there are times where you know you go through film you go through um a couple a couple weeks of gaining that chemistry and Harden will realize like you know that guy's open and Tobias will have several situations where I think he'll relocate and it's just all getting to know how they'll fit into the system. It's been literally two games. And let's be honest too, like we're, we're not going to, I'm not going to sit here. I, I, I had this, well, I'll, I'll let you pose whatever your, your hot take might be at the end of this, but uh, we're, we're looking at them beating the Knicks who I'm sorry, my friend, but have, have had plenty of, of games this year where they've just fallen apart late in game. And there it was, they, they had a really competitive third quarter, scored 33 points in the third quarter. And I thought, all right, this is going to be a competitive game. And then just let it slip. And both their centers filed out, which is insane. And let's keep it real. I mean, the, the pace was completely controlled by Embiid and Harden in both these games. They combined for 69 free throw attempts in both games. That's, that's frankly, that's not fun. Let's be real. But if you're a 76ers fan, hey, that's that's fun when you can control the pace of the game. If it's ever slipping away, yeah, let's just get to the line 100 times. No big deal. But um it's it's heartening to see, but I don't think it was necessarily against the kind of competition that I'm going to make any broad statements at this time yet. But Embiid, this is the easiest he's been scoring the basketball ever. That, probably definitely ever. He had one made basket against the the Knicks, where it came from a post up. That 
I'd, I don't need to check the rest of the year to know that that is the lowest of this year, probably in the past two years. Yeah. And he yeah. scored 27 points. Just leave it at that. Dude, 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 dude can score the basketball. All right. 100, 127 points across a few games from uh, from Harden and Embiid. I mean, early days for Embiid, but let's be real. It looks as awesome as we were all hoping that it would. Now it's all now we now we just had to sit and wait to see what uh, the full strength uh, nets look like. But uh, at this moment, it's great that at least uh, one half is getting to see uh, getting to see this trade actually on the floor and getting to getting to know the team. And you just you you think the biggest worry for this team now is on the defensive end. Yeah, uh, and possibly the big rotation. You obviously had your hot take with Willie Colley Stein, and they'll be really hoping that he can come in and, and, play, yeah. and, and play key minutes because Millsap at the moment, especially heading in towards the playoffs, you don't want him to be relying totally on him to uh, to cover uh, to cover for Embiid. But I think Doc Rivers is is a, definitely a guy capable of getting this team. To play a bit up on the defensive end, he's, he's a good defensive coach, and you know you'll get more out of Harden. I think he showed the fact that he still got got a few got, got the quick hands when when he needs to, and he'll he'll put in a bit more. Obviously, there's plenty of elite guards that he'll be guarding that he still will uh, face trouble with. But I think we'll see we'll see a, a, a better effort from him on the defensive end here in Philly than probably we did towards the end in Houston and in Brooklyn. Yeah, and. Yeah, I guess that will be a worry for them, but I think they'll they'll be fine defensively. I, I don't see that this starting lineup uh, with James Harden and Maxi will ever be great no. on the perimeter because you know you're going to go up against your Jimmy Butler's, you're against your Brown and Tatum's, against your DeRozan, Levines. You're going to go up against a lot of these elite perimeter creators. And you're just going to have to live with the fact that they're, they're going to get beat. But newsflash, you got Joel Embiid on the backside. You got Ty, Ty Bull um, helping weeks. You, you have uh, Danny Green there. Mm-hmm. You've got three guys there who are elite defensively. And Tobias Harris, when, he, when he's in good, he's, he's no slump either. I don't know if I say elite, but like he does a lot in terms of being a great switchable defender. So I mean, they have tools to manage defensively that I think – that will just be in terms of the makeup of the starting lineup. I don't think that'll ever come to fruition where they're going to be like a top five defense, but I think they can push to being close, close to the top 10 um, with that starting lineup. And overall, I, I think they're going to stay, they, they should stay a top 10 defense for the end of the season. That's all they'd be aiming for. Cause they could definitely know they can be, a, they can be a top five offense without, without, without a doubt. So as long as you're uh, in the, in the, on the right side of things, when it comes to the defensive end, I think that, the, there won't be uh, there won't be too many words. I think the main aim for them heading towards the end of the season now is mainly about Tobias Harris. I mean, it's been a difficult year for him, and hearing rumors that he might have been included in trade talks and they might want to be getting rid of his contract. I think the main thing for Philly now is, and for Doc Rivers especially is to to get Tobias Harris some looks to get him more engaged with the team and just get him happy 
because they're going to need him in in crucial moments in the in the playoffs and towards the the end of the regular season here. <laughs> I thought you were saying they, they need to score some more points so that they can actually trade him in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> At least play well enough to help, and ultimately play well enough so that we can actually trade you when we need to. <laughs> well, that too. <laughs> um, all right, so you don't have you don't have a 76ers hot take. I, I thought you'd be coming out guns blazing for your boy Embiid. Thought you'd be dropping something crazy here. Well, Embiid, just I don't need to drop anything crazy because it's all it's all legit. Embiid is is an animal, and he's only looking better playing alongside a guy like Harden. It's not affecting his game in any negative way. It seems it's only looking to give him even easier shots at scoring the basketball, and he was doing pretty well at it when it was uh, about as difficult as as it as it could be for him. So. Just greatness, making greatness better. That's that's all I'll say about, about Philly uh, the early days of Embiid. So are they the team to beat? Like the team to beat? That's what, that's what I was hoping you'd get at here. But I, I don't think you're fully committed to it yet. Neither am I. No, no but... I'm not, I'm not going to fully commit. Uh, I'll wait till they get a big win. Then, then, I'll, then, I'll, go full, then I'll go full throttle then. All right, we'll, we'll wait for that. Um, what else we got in the menu here? We got, um, they say Jazz Mavs here or Jazz uh, Jazz Suns rather. Jazz Suns, that was a it was a good one, a good a good close battle. I definitely have a few a few a uh, few interesting takes from this one and for first versus fourth in the in the West and uh, another another loss for for Phoenix without CP three. Yeah, uh, you don't see them lose back to back games too often. That has that. that don't think it's happened too many times this season. I'm pretty sure this is the first time since December, I want to say. So uh, a big, a big W for Utah. Yeah. Huge for Utah. And for me, you expect it because Utah is coming to form. They've won eight of the last nine games. Um, and I mean, plainly put the Suns don't have Chris Paul. Like you, you have to win this game if you're the jazz. And it looked it looked sketchy for many parts of the game that the Suns were putting together lots of runs. The Jazz just typically, you know, if if they're not if they're not running a crisp offense, if they're not hitting their threes, if Gobert isn't feasting inside, like they really start to struggle because then it all just comes down to okay, Donovan Mitchell save us, hmm. and that that's the thing that you know when I see flashes of that, you know, Donovan Mitchell is amazing. Does he? And the question for me is. I think the ceiling for this jazz team, I'm not going to take away this win from them at all. Cause I, it was a great, there's a great team win against the Suns are still an amazing team without Chris Paul. I mean, they, they proved it there. Book is still an unreal scorer and talk about his passing in a second, but the ceiling for this jazz team, it feels like is, is Donovan Mitchell going to take like a Damian Lillard step? Because in those moments where, you know, if, if they're, if, if a team like the Suns, who are amazing defense, if they're respecting all their shooters and they're making clean rotations, then the Jazz often feast off of these bad teams who, you know, admittedly aren't going to keep up with how fluid they are on the offensive end, aren't going to keep up with the rotation the way the Suns can on a night-to-night basis. Can Donovan Mitchell just go out there and save them? And on nights like this, he does. He does, and he gets them out of those ruts, and then they can finally get back into their flow. But in the playoffs, can he make that Damian Lillard step where he's going to do that consistently? That, I mean, that took a while for, for Dame to get to that point, too. Yeah. But that, that seems to be, to me right now, the, the question mark for the Jazz, because everyone keeps doubting the Jazz, and I, I don't doubt the Jazz. 
you know, I, I think they're still going to be a, a great playoff team, but I think it's going to end up coming down to that. It seems like a simple answer that Mitchell just needs to get better, but I think he can do it. I mean, just the way he's been creating his shots over this year um, from deep, pulling up from three, just been really fearless with his shot selection. I, I think that that has potential. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, I mean, look at the, the matchup he had against uh, Murray in the, in the bubble. Mm-hmm. We see performance from him like that. That could be what it takes for the Jazz to take it to the next level. And for the Suns, I mean, what, what do you think of them? What do you think of how they, they played this game? Yeah, it was, it was interesting from them. You definitely saw them missing the control of CP3, especially when Utah made the comeback and, and got level. Obviously, it was about it was about eight points around that at the half, and Utah just slowly kind of stuck around and stayed with it. And it it was it was just one of those games where they needed Chris Paul. That was it. That's, this is just one of those type of games where you really noticed how his important moments that and the, the bench scoring were the real big difference makers in this game yeah. for me, they just cut no one that could get close to competing with the, the impact that Clarkson was having off the bench for Utah, which is which not many teams can do. Clarkson's arguably probably one of the best bench scorers in, in, in the NBA, but, that's where they they need to get the likes of pain back, and you kind of question a bit though how deep this 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 Phoenix team is. Are they are they gonna struggle outside of their outside of their starting five to to score? You know who needs to score? It needs to be Shamit. Yeah, so just, so just jump right to it. Shamit is there, and Shamit should not be scoring. Two points. He should not be attempting one three. I mean, arguably, he only played eleven minutes. But the reason he's only playing eleven minutes is because he just doesn't look aggressive out there. I mean, he had he had we had one shot. It was a runner in the middle of a broken possession, and he just hasn't looked aggressive enough for a guy who really should be. I mean, he was brought there to bring an aggressive scorer off the bench, and he's just not been that. And I'll give Tory Craig a pass because you know he's he's still out there providing defensive support and rebounding. But for him to go 0 3 2 and he's your 3 and D guy, that's you know, that's not acceptable. You gotta you gotta hit a couple of those shots. Yeah, I guess like I'm making those comments at the same time. That's without both Payne and Paul. So in reality, yeah. you'd have Payne and then probably Cam Johnson, who obviously was starting last night and had a very good game. He'd probably be coming off the bench too. So there's two more guys that you'd usually have coming off the bench that will that would do uh, some good scoring for you. So uh Maybe not too too much of a big deal to worry about, but at the same time, there's been injury issues with with pain. We still don't know when he's actually going to come back. Is it just going to be a return for him, or is it going to be pain for Phoenix until until the playoffs there uh, and uh, they get Chris Paul back? I'm not really sure which way it's going to go right now. And another thing that I think was interesting was the impact of the bigs of Utah had in this game. They kind of dominated a little bit. They really took advantage of. Uh, of Aiden and McGee, they they were smart and they did their work inside, especially Gobert. He got a lot of looks and he got a lot of open looks where he wasn't found as well, Gobert. There was a lot of times I think he... Oh, was, yeah, he could have dropped. He, he could not have easily had 25 points. Yeah, he yeah. was not happy at all that when he when he wasn't hit. But him and Whiteside both combined for, for 10 offensive boards and that's uh, 
that's a, a lot of that's a lot of a lot of points there. Probably it's a it could be the difference in this game ultimately. It was only four points in the end. And you think if it wasn't for that error at the end, whether you want to blame Jay Crowder, you want to blame the coach, and you just think oh. and you just think if Chris Paul was there, that that would not that would not have happened. So they were still very much in this game, and it just came down to uh, an error of judgment. And you you hope that they'll, they'll they'll learn from that. They won't be they won't be too worried about it, but they'll they'll know that that was that could have ultimately been what cost them the win here. Yeah, and I, I I gotta just say first and foremost, like Aiton and Javale McGee have been one of the best uh, duos in terms of big big on big off in the league. I mean, they, they've been solid all year long, securing rebound. They've they've always won the boards. It feels like every every single game. I mean, they just got dominated tonight. And I mean, Whiteside just I I never understand this um, from a fan perspective. Like a guy like Whiteside is just so physically talented, and it seems like when he turns it on, he he'll out rebound anyone. He'll block anything. And he'll out position ever. Like he feels, he looks stronger and bigger than anyone, kind of the same way that Gobert does sometimes. It's just not always there. But on a night like tonight, to have it both uh, going for both of them, they just dominated a, a big tandem that I, I think should have, you know, it should have been evenly matched. Those 10 offensive rebounds, unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Totally unacceptable. And let's talk about that last play, man. Cause like, yeah, this was really funny to me because we were both texting about this game. And at the end there, I thought you would be the one to call it out because you are always like the just the bane of every coach. Just like, oh, it's his fault because you know, he's a coach. And then whenever it's, it's they're winning, it's like the players. But in this situation, you know, it's it's important. You know, when you're watching end of game, I think back in the day, it would always be a timeout. If you if you have a timeout, you can advance the ball and you can drop a play. You're taking a timeout unless you got like, Kobe on, on your team and you're just or LeBron and you're just going to like have them find a mismatch and then take it. But I feel like you've noticed a trend over the past four or five years where defenses are, you're just seeing that you're going to get a better shot if you go against a non-set defense. And this is one of those situations where you, what was it 10 seconds left? Or so. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they had more more than enough time to to get up the court and manufacture a shot. And the thing is, is that the Jazz completely locked up. As soon as the Jazz missed that shot, and there was there's time remaining. Actually, actually, I want to say it was like more like 14, 15 seconds. Sorry, I can't remember. No, but no, it wasn't quite that high now. Was it that, that there's more than enough time? I, I do know yeah. that. There's more than Any enough time. time to get up the court and get a shot. There was. Yeah. But the jazz, the jazz immediately were trapping and they were covered on everybody there's nobody open up the court and you have jake the ball in jake Crowder's hands who they've been trusting him more to have the ball in his hands with chris paul out and he's done great with it he's done great with the ball but if you're monty like there's no advantage to be had there and that was the thing for me like he had to take that time out like that that should have been recognized immediately that this is breaking down anything that they pass up ahead is going to be covered and going to get trapped so you just got to take a time out so i mean everyone's going to flame Jay Crowder for just like literally throwing into the second row. <laughs> but you know, that's, that's a product of a, a broken, not a broken play, but you know, just the chaos of getting trapped in the backcourt and they, they should have had an opportunity to just run a play. They should have called timeout. 
yeah, I mean, you know, they're good enough to be able to, to draw to draw up the play. And, and I know, like, you, you have to put blame on the coach as well. Monty Williams should have just called that, especially without having Chris Paul there. Maybe if the ball was in Chris Paul's hand, maybe you go, yeah, yeah. I, I can trust him to go and get this done. Or but, Booker. If Booker yeah. and any, any of the guards, anyway. Yeah, it was in Jay Crowder's hands. And obviously, Monty Williams should have called it. But when he didn't, even if they discussed before, Jay Crowder should have known him, himself. He's experienced enough at this stage. <sighs> It's better. It would have been better off for them to to call a timeout. And you think an experienced guy like him, I think he he should have had the enough confidence in himself. I know obviously you listened to the coach, and it could have been said at the previous timeout that we, we if we get the board here, we'll just we'll just run the play and, and go for it. I get that, but I just think he should have known that the best thing for them to do was to to call timeout there and and just take the heat if he gets it from the coach. But it would have put the team in a, in a better. In That's a not Jake Crowder, man. That's not J- Jake Crowder is gonna is gonna flow with whatever the team wants to do. And if Monty's not calling a timeout, you know it's 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 go time, and that's that's a mentality. If the coach is not calling a timeout and you're running off the floor, you don't just call a timeout, especially Jake Crowder. Maybe maybe Chris Paul, Chris Paul, or maybe Devin Booker, but definitely only, Chris Paul is only the only guy who's gonna go against the grain and be like, okay, we need to stop the play here. That's the only guys who do that. Jay Crowder's not going to do that, man. That's I'm, that, that's I'm, fair. I'm putting that all in Monty. And and dude, like if you if you watch the play again, Jay Crowder looks left. He looks down the middle, and he looks right, and he looks again, and then he just like yeah, then he chucks it right towards uh, Booker. And like you know, I, I think the the Jazz give credit to the Jazz. They they trapped that perfectly, and they were really immediately on everyone after a missed shot. You know, a lot of times after a missed shot, end of game, you're just running back, just trying to, to get back in. But they got to their man immediately. So I, I thought that, that was – you got to give credit to the Jazz there. Yeah, that's um, fair. I, I what, about, what about D-Book? What about D-Book on the whole? What, what, what are we thinking? We've had three games now of Devin Booker basically playing as the point guard. Obviously, uh, it all looked rosy and peachy after the first game, uh, 25-5 and 12 from him and he and he had six steals too that's uh, that more than making up for the the amount of steals cp3 usually gets in a game and that that big win over okc but then you're kind of like well i could have a good game against okc okc the way <laughs> yeah going at the moment <laughs> and then in uh, in the two games uh since he's still put up good numbers he's still showing the ability to pass but it's been in back-to-back defeats against the pelicans and the jazz and it's just not. It just doesn't. It's just not his game. He can do it when he needs to do it, but you definitely say that it, it's just. It just doesn't feel like his game. He needs someone else there to be the the lead play setter, and he'll do it when he needs to do it. But it, it, it's not. It's just not really uh, Devin Booker's game when I when when I'm watching him in this position. You know, I I actually I disagree with that. I disagree with that. I, I think there, there's there's levels to this, right? Like, I don't think he's a championship level point guard. Mm-hmm. He's by no means Chris Paul. He's by no means um, that on that level where he's going to lead a team completely. But I, I thought, you know, given that he's given full reign of being the lead point guard, I thought he's played well. I, I thought, I think he's been a good, yes, at yeah. least replacement level point guard. Or point guard. Like, he's not just making like the easy dump off pass or just passing out of a double. Like, he's, make, he's making advanced reads. Like, he's, He's making skip passes to the corner. He's reading. He's he's making it to the to the second, third read on pick and roll. Like, and I, I think that 
passes that he's made, the, the advanced level at which he's made, I, I think that get, you should give him credit for that. He should get credit for at least playing to that level. It's not leading to wins right now. Um, and you look at the score against the Pelicans and you say, I mean, how are you, how are you losing to the, to the Pelicans by 15 points? But hey, the Pelicans, I, we're going to talk about them in a second, but hey, they've been good, especially defensively. Um, so that, let's, let's not, let's give them a little credit there. And against the Jazz, it's a fantastic team. So, I mean, th- these are games where when you lose Chris Paul, you go from being a best team in the league to a great team. And great teams are susceptible to losing games like this. And I think, I think it's actually been the, the, what I come away from this is thinking that I think, I think Devin Booker could do more when Chris Paul comes back. And I, and I think that that should be explored because I think he's making a lot of clean looks for guys. I think they're having a lot of shooting luck not go their way to, to, the, to the tone of um, their, their shooters going completely cold against the Jazz late in the game. But I don't know. I, I, can't, I don't walk away from this and think, and think Devin Booker is not a good playmaker or he's not, he's not good enough to, to bring him there because I, I don't think that's his role, number one, but I, I think he's been – He's been good enough to keep them in a position to to win some of these games, but other factors have been have been more key to why they don't come away with the dub against the Jazz and against the Pelicans. Yeah, no, of course. I'm not trying to take things away from from uh, from D book, but I, I would just say that if I think when campaign is back, and I think that should be soon. I'm hearing that um, I think he's taking part in full contact practice. He's doing his full. Uh, his full warm up out with the team, so hopefully he should be back in the next week or two. I think they'll look like a better, a a, a more balanced team when he is back a, a, as the lead, uh, as the lead playmaker. Then obviously they're not going to be as good as when Chris Paul's doing it, but I think they'll look like a more balanced team with uh, with both Payne and Booker in the backcourt. Well, at least we're, we're not seeing any hit on uh, on Booker scoring anyway. Obviously he had thirteen in that fourth quarter against the Jazz and. Uh, his shot, his shot was looking smooth. So you just hope that it's it. What we we talked about before is that CP three could be gone in a couple of years. What sort of way is Booker going to be as as the leader of this team? Is he going to be able to to take up that slack, or is he going to just be going back to being the scorer? And let's be real, he'll be hitting his prime years then. So it'll it'll be interesting to see uh, what way that goes. So. Not trying to take anything away from D Book. He's do he's doing really good things, but I will say there'll be a more balanced team when when Payne is there in the backcourt with him. Yeah. I, I think it's it's fascinating to think about how dominant the Suns have been. I mean they're they're 49 and 12 right now. And I and I'd say they're they're probably 50, 51 and 10 if they have Chris Paul right now. Yeah. They've been so 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 good and you know they, they dropped down like, like I said I, we'll, we'll see what the numbers look like after the end of the month without Chris Paul but I think they they dropped down to they're still a, a top top five team and they're still going to be that um, but yeah I, I think I think Devin Booker long term you're right he's not going to be their long-term solution at the point campaigns not going to be a long-term solution but right now they're just living living in the moment and the worry for chris paul right now is if he hits that eight week mark we're talking games in the first round 
it's not a shooting hand too. You got to remember. And it's bad enough right now where it's, it's on his thumb and that's, you know, that thumb injuries are bad. Like that (laughs) simply put it first on your shooting hand. That's not good. And I'm going to assume the worst here. And honestly, things be close to that eight week mark, just given his age and given how careful they're going to have to be with it. But hopefully they hold on and hopefully it's not a, a scary first round matchup, depending on who makes it out. Um, Before we talk about Pelicans, actually, let's, let's jump on to the craziest game of Sunday. Luca pulled out some magic, but he didn't do it alone. He didn't do it alone. He did it with Spencer Dinwiddie and he did something he doesn't do very often. And he defers. He allows this team to break a, was it a 17? No, a 19 point deficit. I want to say 21, um, 21. Well, oh, it was 21, ins- 21 late in the third. And then it was actually oh, back up to, they got it down to about nine and then it was back up to 19 earlier in the fourth. And then the Warriors just went to hell. Yep. At that 19 point mark in seven minutes, that disappears. Seven minutes that disappears. And where did we start with this? Cause, cause one, I think this is something to be said about the Warriors. I, I think we can make some, some conclusions about what the Warriors have been struggling with. And for the Mavs, this is a statement for their defense, first and foremost. I mean, they're, they're, if, if people haven't seen it, they're seeing it on national TV right there, just how engaged they are defensively. And I think this is also a product of, you know, Porzingis has been, was great at defending the rim at times, but in terms of having a lot of mobile bigs who are going to be able to switch and help, Maxi Cleaver is awesome. But I mean, Dwight, Dwight Powell's awesome. Those guys with more minutes and more run, I think are going to do some damage defensively. Um, Reggie Bullock on, on Steph Curry did it, did about as good oh my as God, yeah. they were capable of doing on, on Steph Curry. Absolutely. Um, got, got to give Reggie Bullock some credit there. But defensively, they were all connected. And Luka Doncic having some great, great defensive stops too. And, but let's get to the offensive side. The Warriors... This is another moment where they've gone stagnant. They, we, you see Curry go two for eight, and it's not that he's just missing. He's getting doubled just constantly. All, I mean, that's what you have to do. You double Steph Curry, but you hope that the other guys fill in the gaps. And my first question is your all-star starter, Andrew Wiggins. He goes one for four in the fourth quarter. That's your all-star starter. Scores two points, goes one for four as your 19 point lead disintegrates. How about that? Not surprised. We 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 said it from the start. Andrew Wiggins, he's just he's just not an all-star. He's the guy who will look good when Steph and Clay are playing together and knocking down buckets. He'll look good at playing alongside that. But in reality, when push really comes to shove, I just don't think you can rely on Andrew Wiggins. That's that's always been my opinion of him. I think he can be a good role player within this Warriors organization, but he's not he's not a guy you rely on. He's not a guy that you want to rely on. But they it seemed like they weren't gonna have to because I mean, Warriors obviously they're tied for the best home record in the league, 26 and 7. They're obviously with the uh, with the Suns, the two best records in the league. And for the first three quarters, it just looked like another one of those games. They had great defense. There was great ball movement. They were getting buckets and they were getting contributions from 
a lot of different guys. Kaminga had a few nice baskets. Moody made some some good scores. And Wiggins, especially early in the game, was, was looking good along with Curry. And then we get to late in the third, and the commentators made the point on this. He made a he made a three pointer uh, with about five minutes to go in the third quarter, and he just started to smile and started saying thank you, thank you, because he he was he was really struggling up until then, and that was kind of the moment that the game completely changed. Luca's head was back in it, and Dallas started doing to the Warriors what the Warriors had done to them. I mean, Dallas had so many turnovers in the first half. The The Warriors were just doing such a great job on Luca. They were forcing him into situations that he didn't want to be in. He wasn't able to get to the rim at all. And they were basically saying, if you're going to beat us, you're going to have to do it without Luca." And that's when Spencer Dinwiddie stepped up and, and showed his value to this team, really had a breakout game as, as a Dallas oh, Maverick. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, two two good games in a row. Um, but going going back to Wiggins there, I, I think, you know, I, I'll push back a little bit on what you said there because I got to give Wiggins credit. It's not – he was good before Clay came back. He was, he was good. And I think he was – he's not an all-star level player, in my opinion. But for role – he's always an elite role player with them all season. And he's their best corner shooter. And that's their problem right now. This is fun, fun fact for everybody. The Warriors are the 28th, are 28th, and I almost said 28th best. They're second, which is second worst. <laughs> They're 28th in the league in corner three percentage. And for a team that really, really relies on spacing to run their sets and to get Curry into open looks, that's been such a huge drag on them in many, many situations, including here. And I think when you have your best three uh, corner three-point shooter, who surprisingly has been Wiggins, when you have him running, um, when it's Steph getting doubled and you just are like, all right, Wiggins, get us a bucket. I mean, dude, you've done that in Minnesota. You know what that looks like. You know what that looks like when you give Wiggins a ball in late game situations and he has to figure something out. That's not who he is. And I think the beautiful thing about what he's done in Golden State is I think he's figured out who he is. He's a defensive stopper. He's a good corner shooter. And he's, I mean, he's a Swiss army knife. Like he's going to give you some buckets off the dribble, but he's not going to, like you said, he's not going to be that guy in late game situations. So I think this is tough because, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to hold Andrew Wiggins to an all-star level just because he got voted there. Cause I think, you know, good for him, but that's just not his game. And the thing that the Warriors need to figure out right now is if Draymond Green is out, because, I mean, in reality, he's he's their point guard in so many situations. He's orchestrating the offense. He's orchestrating the defense. And that's why so many things have fallen apart in close games like this is because he's not there. Defensively, he's, he's not that, – that lead does not go away with Draymond Green on the court, plain and simple. It just doesn't. That's fair. But you say that, but even with all the time that Draymond has missed, the Warriors still have the most efficient defense in basketball. That's, I mean, with, with that, even yeah, with but that's 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 for the whole year. That's for the whole year. I know, but think he he's been out for what two months now, and they're still right up there. Yeah, they they, they are, but you know, in, in situations like this, and look at the numbers too. Without Draymond Green, they have a one ten point seven defensive rating. That's eighteenth in the league. It's without Draymond Green. So for every game that Draymond Green has not played, they have been the eighteenth best defense in the league. And what, what you see is 
they're giving up the most threes from the corner in the league as well. So it's, it's funny that from an analytics perspective, they are the second worst in getting corner threes and they are the worst team in giving up corner threes. And it's just such obvious math that like that's leading to so many terrible situations. How many times did the Mavs have an open corner? Like, uh, the Mavs should have been way, way closer, way sooner. I mean, the amount of open looks that they got and missed was uh, was pretty, pretty bad. I mean, you, you, you're looking at that. There was, it was kind of almost bad play from the war, uh, from the the Mavericks as much as it was good, uh, good hustle defense and stuff from from uh, from the Warriors because they did have they had a hell of a lot of uh, of open looks in that game and it just took to get their defense really going before they could really make a make a push and that's that's what you love about this Dallas is that coach kid he's brought a new identity to, to Dallas they won't they won't go away in games they're going to stay with it they're they're a really good defensive team fifth fifth best in the league and not having that worry about Porzingis obviously there's a bit of worry on the defensive end and just worrying about having to get Porzingis a shot and having to get him in positions to to yeah. score the ball like they they were saying i think the players as well as coach kid have come out and said there is no number two guy now it's just we just play it by ear we see we see what happens in, in in particular games obviously last night it was spencer dinwiddie on another night it could be brunson or or hardaway or finney smith when uh it, it's it's gonna work better i think for this dallas team because defense is their is their strongest uh, point, and then the offense will come. Obviously, Luca, we know he's had the hot hand over the last uh, last month, month and a half, and you know that other guys are going to be able to step up night after night. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I I'm really, really impressed with them gutting it out because their mo for the past couple of years has been either they're going to absolutely destroy a team and just ride it out in the fourth quarter I mean, there's not going to be contest or they lose close games. Mm-hmm. Um, they were one of the worst teams last year in close games down the stretch. So just choke. And kid has pointed that out early in the season that they need to learn how to just how to tough it out and to ride out those moments and stick together. And a lot of times early in the season, there was criticism against kid for the players that he would keep out there and not change things up and allow them to quite honestly lose games because he doesn't change up the, the rotations late in the game. But he specifically said that he was testing them. He's testing guys. And he's trying to prepare them for these situations. And I think this is, this is a great result of what they've been practicing and preaching all season long, which is to stay in games like this and to stay committed to the defensive end and stay committed to, you know, finding the hot hand and continue to play their game. And it was impressive to see that and impressive to see it with Luca not trying to do too much when his team was the one that was flowing. He didn't take away from the, when he got reinserted into the lineup after they had taken, I think they'd taken the lead down to, to four or something. They got into within four when, when Luca came back, I was curious because Luca ball is sometimes it's, it's a black hole. You give Luca the ball and he dribbles, dribbles, dribbles. And you know, half the time he's probably going to score, but no one else is doing anything. So if he, if he goes cold, the whole team goes cold. So you kind of question, okay, he's going to get a lot of that in. early. There's a lot of that early. In the yeah, game. yeah, yeah, exactly. So you're worried that's what's going to happen, but no, he played off ball and he allowed Dinwiddie to keep cooking and yeah, it's Spencer Dinwiddie, but um, let's, let's ignore what Davis Bertans has, has done, <laughs> but just talking about the trick, 
but just talking about the and the the tech off the bench, like that was just weird. Like what, like how, just shut up. You know, I'd like what, what are the assistant? He's been I, I saw, Luca. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I saw one of the assistant coaches on the bench. I said, "Is it panned over to him? You're still young." Like assistant coach was just like rolling his eyes, like, "Dude, you are on the bench. Just shut your mouth. You just cost him a point." And meanwhile, you're costing them a million points on the other end because you're not actually playing any defense. But <laughs> Spencer Dinwiddie, this is the hope of the. Porzingis trade is I think you divide that contract into two guys and maybe one of them rehabilitates their value because Britons, he should be a knockdown shooter. He should be worth that contract. And Dinwiddie should be an elite offensive player. That's what he has been. And he's shown it past two games. And I, I maybe it's just change of scenery. Who knows? But sometimes it just, it just takes some, Something that we as, as we don't know these players personally, we don't we don't know their lives, you don't know what things are like. Maybe he just really didn't like Washington. Maybe he wasn't into the 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 food scene there. I don't know. Maybe maybe Dallas cooking's better for him. But dude, he's been great in two games so far. Sixty seven percent in his first game, and second game he was on fire. Seventy one percent from the floor. He's playing efficiently. That's been his issue all season long. And he's to give that to Luca is something different because you have Brunson there for sure but he's just that that other guy he and just gets the score to... as well that's that's big yeah. for him as well it's about, about scoring it's not about being the play setter you got you got Brunson and you got Luca to do that he just gets to he, he just has to worry about putting points on the board and he did it in a big way last night and you know he's a guy that can keep on doing it for for the rest of the season for Dallas yeah and Luca you saw Luca set a couple screens that I mean the dude's a big guy doing a he would be a perfect perfect inverted uh pick and pop partner for both brunson and dinwiddie i mean he's got a big body depending on who your matchup is if you're if you're a smaller guard like that's not a guy you just get easily around but i I think they can really mix things up here now that they have two legit creators around luca it's not just brunson because honestly outside of brunson before they got dinwiddie it's like who else are you really putting out there like Dorian Finney-Smith isn't putting the ball on the floor. Bullock's not putting the ball on the floor. None of your bigs are putting the ball on the floor. Josh Green is still too young. Like, now they have two other guys that they can rely on. That's going to be huge. It's going to be absolutely huge. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And just the the major testament that you put to, to this comeback and this win, this is the first time since 2007 that the Warriors have lost a game at home after being up by 20 plus points, 62 wow. straight games. They've wow. won when they're up 20 points, uh, 20 plus points at home. So that's just, a, it's just a testament to just to how, how much effort it took and how, how big this, this comeback was for, uh, for the Dallas Mavericks and Another sign of of Steph Curry's uh, recent struggles outside of that All-Star game. He's still just not at the level that he was at the start of the season. I mean, I was loving him in the first half, especially the way he went from being a decoy facilitator to the scorer when he needed to be. It It was just classic Steph Curry. Then he gets five points in the fourth quarter. That's, that's he's getting, getting classic Steph Curry. He's getting like, but, and this, this is what it comes down to. It, it, I'm going to say it again, Draymond Green. And we didn't get to finish this point because you brought up the Dinwiddie and I had to, to just go off on how amazing that was. But the thing is that everything stems from Draymond. And we've noticed that 
Like we've noticed it more than ever here. And I'm glad that people are finally recognizing how integral he's been. Uh, how many years have he spent just saying, oh, Draymond's only good because he's on the Warriors with all these good players? Like, no, like Draymond Green is the core of making that work. Like Steph Curry is going to do a lot of crazy things on his own for sure. But to consistently win, it's up to him. On the defensive end, he's you have great defenders. You have Wiggins there. You have Gary Payton uh, Jr. there. You have Looney. I mean, even Moody's a good defender. Kuminga's been great. But they're all great individually. But as a team, he just holds them together. You see how much he's communicating and telling people where to switch, where to go, what plays being run even at times. And that is such that that's such an intangible that you won't ever see on the statue. But you see it in game that they're just not as together. And you notice that in the fourth quarter. And offensively, it's it's a lot of the same thing. There's a lot of stagnation when Curry is getting doubled. And like I said, you give it to Wiggins and you know what you're going to get from that. So I guess, well, like, who do they look to here to fix that? Do you look to Jordan Poole? Is he, is he ready? I mean, he, he maybe should be stepping do, up He can more. definitely do more than he did, uh, than he did last night. He was, uh, he probably do not, a little more than four points. Yeah. 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 He was not, he was really not, uh, not at it, not at it at all. But I mean, the, in the final 10 minutes of the game, the Mavericks were, went on a 33 to eight run on the yeah. Warriors home floor like that is just <laughs> insanity like how are the Warriors only putting up eight points I mean respect to Dallas respect to the defense but something's not right there I, I wonder where they what they try to do because I think to me it feels obvious that that's not your the, the way to get out of these games is not when Steph Curry is getting doubled is not just dump it to Wiggins and hope to see what happens I I, I hope that they do something a little bit more creative at the end and something more simple for them to run without Draymond there. But I don't know, maybe, maybe you throw in Otto Porter Jr. I, I just don't think, you know, you get a lot of defense out of Gary Payton Jr., but he's hey, he's not going to be able to play make or, or help them space the floor. I mean, you, you saw him clank a three near the end, and honestly, the Mavs weren't really paying attention to him. Mm. They didn't care about him on the defensive end. But guy like Otto Porter Jr., I mean, he can he can pass in the in the pick and roll as a ball handler. He can pass as a role man. He can shoot. He can create his own shot. And you know, maybe he's everyone can say he's washed. But when he's been given opportunities to be featured in this Warriors offense, I mean, he's he's put out. He hasn't done it consistently because I think there hasn't really been the the bandwidth for that. But with with Wiggins struggling as a creator, you got to look elsewhere. Like let Wiggins do what he's good at right now. Don't don't force him to do something that he's not because it's just going to keep exposing you know the, the player we've tried to make him for years. He's just not that. <laughs> Maybe it's ridiculous to say. So the solution is Otto Porter Jr. But it we got to get creative with something there. Yeah, I I trust, I, I trust Steve K to get creative. I mean, they have the system. The way this this the uh, Warrior system works, it's so easy for players to come in and fulfill a role. And you know, Steve K is. Is one of the top coaches in basketball, and you know, you know that he'll be able, he'll be able to figure it out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Who, who's is uh, are the Lakers going to figure it out? Oh God, the Lakers just give it up. I mean, it's it's, uh, it's just pathetic. It's really really pathetic, and seeing everything last night of them getting into more words with their own with their own fans. I mean, it's it's just. Uh, Everything is just going to hell in LA, and my God, how how has it how has it got to this? Like <laughs> they lose to the Pelicans, who the Lakers 
are the ninth seed. Pelicans are 10th seed. The, the Pelicans are two and a half games behind the Lakers. The Blazers at 25 and 36 are also two and a half games behind the Lakers. The Spurs are three games behind the Lakers. The Kings are five. They're pretty dangerously close to falling out of the playoffs entirely. What what percent chance does that happen? It is higher than I ever thought it would be. Uh, I don't know what sort of mark to give it right now, but I'd say, is it a 50-50 shot at the moment? The way they're playing, it's kind of looking like it, especially, you know, Davis for likely four or five more weeks. So that's pretty much the entire regular season. They've got, I think, the third hardest uh, remaining schedule. Second Second highest. They play the Suns twice. The Warriors twice, uh, the 76ers once, the Jazz once, the Cavs once, and the Nuggets twice. The Nuggets are going to destroy them. Fantastic. All those. They, they could stand to lose. I mean, that's four, six, eight, nine. They could stand to go, like, at best, four and five in that. More likely three and five in that stretch. And that that could spell doom for them. Yeah. And then they play the they play the – I mean, these are the games they need to win. You need to beat the Pelicans. I was just praising the Pelicans. But, like, for, for the Lakers, this is, like, desperation mode. And I, if I hear from another, like, Westbrook, Mello, or LeBron that this is a team made for the play- – dude, you're not even, like – you're about to be out of the playoffs. Like, I don't care what you can do. The play- you have to get to the playoffs first. <laughs> like, that's just the most ridiculous thing to say about it. Like you have to beat like literally the in, in Tankathon, it's it's a really easy format to see what the strength of schedule is. And you have one column that shows toughest opponents and the other column easiest opponents. And the Pelicans are listed there. These are the guys you gotta beat. No, it it's been happening all year. The the uh you can't even really call them trap games for the Lakers at the moment, just the way that they've been so average this year, but the amount of time amount of games that you would think at the start of the year, you would have looked at them and said, yeah, dead cert, Lakers going to win that. And they have just completely blown it. I mean, it's usually just LeBron James and against against a, against a starting five, or maybe you see flashes from, from Malik Monk and AD when he was healthy. But, I mean, it's it's crap. I mean, the, the losses meant that they've lost a couple of games. I think the Kings, a couple of games, OKC dropping the... To the Pelicans, it's it, everything is just going as as badly as it can go for LA and the stuff on the outside. Obviously, you, that's always going to happen when things are going bad. You start hearing different different things on the outside, and it's just gonna it's gonna get louder and louder until they start winning on the floor. But the fact that it's probably a 50-50 shot whether or not they're even in the playing tournament is just it, it's it's I can't believe it's got got here, but. That's 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 the way that it's going for LA, but New Orleans, it's uh they're 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 right in there for the battle for uh for the playing tournament to show show Mr. Zion that they're uh, they're they're a winning franchise, they're a competitive team, they want it, they want to win. I forget, forget Zion. We'll talk about him in a second. But I mean for for the Pelicans, I mean CJ McCollum and Brandon Ingram are really synergizing. They have two guys on the wing that can create their own shot and for the Lakers, just absolutely torching anyone that they put in front of them. I mean, CJ McCollum and Brandon Ingram are great. And I'll just leave it at that. They're, they're great. They're, there's no, but, and against great players like that, you just need to, you need to get a stop. Like they, they couldn't throw anyone in front of them 
who they, they wouldn't get around. And in isolation and pick and roll in anything, they're getting every mid-range shot they wanted. They're getting any look they wanted in the paint. They're getting everything they wanted. And the Pelicans honestly just controlled the pace the entire game because the Lakers had zero defense, zero defense. And I'm going to say it all year long. This is what happens when you get rid of all your good defenders. They just don't have anyone to deploy out there to defend a team like this. And I think, you know, it's just another case of why this team isn't going anywhere because even if you have Anthony Davis out there, is Anthony Davis going to clean up every perimeter mistake all game long? Like, no, that, I mean, he's going to get, he's going to get hurt doing that eventually. Um, and that, that for me is why, you know, there's, I, I want to, I want to make this the moment that like we stop talking about how bad the, the Lakers are. Cause what are we going to do? Like come on here and like talk about the, why the Kings are bad every time or talk about why the Rockets are bad. Talk about why the Pistons are bad. The Lakers are just bad because they're not a good, they're a bad defense. You know, like we have to come on here and talk about it because it's LeBron. They're but they're just a. <laughs> yeah, the teams like, you mentioned they're meant to be bad, and the Lakers are meant to be good. <laughs> exactly, like it's and it's a moot point at this point because I think at this point of the season we've seen it play out. We know what these teams are. You know, we know what they can try and change, but for the most part, they are what they are. And this team is bad. They, they can they can be explosive at times offensively, but defensively they're never going to be good, and that's because they do not have the talent to stay in front of anyone. CJ McCollum and Brandon Ingram are great. You're going to run into a lot of guys like that in the playoffs. You think you're going to stop them? Hell no. They're, they are going to get, they are going to get in the play in. And I, I don't want to hear anyone being like, Oh man, that would suck to be, to be the second seed or the first seed and have to face LeBron. They're going to get washed by any of those teams. Pick the, the, any the, Sun, the Suns had no problem uh, getting by them <laughs> after the play in last year. Yeah. Like pick any team in the top three, pick any team in the top five and they will, wash the Lakers because they don't have any defense to prevent it from happening period. And it sucks that this is the, the situation we're in, but let's give some credit to the Pelicans. Give some credit to CJ, give some credit to Ingram, give some credit to this rookie. Herb Jones looks yeah. really, yeah. really good. He didn't have an efficient night. And in terms of, of defense, in terms of some things he did with on putting the ball on the floor, impressive a couple of years, <laughs> nice Euro steps. And I'm like, hold on. I did not know he had that in his bag. So good to see them having some real development there. Finally getting some minutes for Jackson Hayes. JV looks great. Tony smells smell. Tony Snell is an absolute sniper. Devonte Graham looks like he's going to be really great off the bench. Um, again, didn't have a great shooting night, but the, the quality of shots that he got, he Devonte Graham is one of those guys that he will take contested three and make it look good. Like he's, he's always, always close to hitting those. And he's just a difficult shot maker. Najee Marshall is, is another guy who's developing. And like, they just have all these guys, Jose Alvarado, like so many stories on this team that's that matter. And I think that they're starting to develop a culture and an identity around this player development and defense effort. And just looking up to CJ, but if they need a, a bucket, look to Ingram, look to CJ, like they can get it and they can play make for others. No, let's, let's, Let's keep this going with CJ. In 252 minutes now, he's putting up 28 points per game, six rebounds, 5.6 assists. He's shooting 53% from the floor, 43.4% from three. He is on an absolute tear. That change of scenery, it just just works for people, you know? Yeah. Did we know what was going on with the... With Portland, it kind of feel like he was kind of they were they were t- 
talks, muted talks about him him leaving pretty much all year. And maybe now that he's finally got out of there, he he's back to being the CJ McCollum we've known, who has been playing along Dame all these years. And he's he's looking really good. He's looking really happy. And one thing that uh, he's doing is just showing that he's 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 one of the good guys. You know, keeps keeps sticking up for uh, for Zion whenever anyone uh, tries yeah, to, I like that. Tries to go like out that. that. Well, you'd hope that he is. He is the he's the president of the, yeah. the player association, so he kind of has to be like that. But it's great the way the, the impact that he's had so early, and obviously they're they're gone three and four uh, in the games with him so far. Well, the big thing is they've played some good teams that time as well, like Miami, mm-hmm. Memphis, Dallas, Phoenix, LA, and 2 0 out of the All Star break on the road against Phoenix and LA. You're a Pelicans fan? Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're taking that. So let's keep it going with this Pelicans fans. Let, let's let's put our put our GM hats on and let's let's play a game here. I've been seeing so, so many Zion trade hypes hype stories from clutch points and whoever, whatever trash click websites are out there basically saying your team should trade for Zion and why, and here's why. And this is a really interesting question to me because I've, I've been thinking about this for the past couple of weeks and the situation they're in now, you know, Zion, you don't know where Zion's head is at. We don't know if that's affected how New Orleans management wants to move forward but if if you're in new orleans the the question for me is if you can convince another team to give you a king's ransom for zion which i think you could still think of if you can get a package for for picks and a a lesser young star you're not going to trade zion for for jaw you're going to trade zion for shea but maybe you could trade zion for i don't know like a a miles bridges and a bunch of picks Maybe you could trade Zion for like a, like John Collins. Like I, I'm just throwing names that these aren't real things, but I'm just thinking like a, a second tier star, young player and picks or other players, given the culture that you've built here so far, like you, you're starting to build some real chemistry with this team. Yeah. The, the, I don't want to hear, oh, they're just the 11th. Like they're, they're a team that's actually competing out there. They're legitimately putting together good play on the floor, even through losses. Without their best player, let's remember that. Exactly, and that's the whole thing. So, you know, I, I think Zion fits into this. If Zion is like, is, hey, this I'm I'm here, I'm going to commit to this team, blah, 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 and, you know, that, that matters, and I think that would change everything. But if the reality is that he's not committed and he leaves aside, like, it, it's a possibility, you know, look at how all the player empowerment has affected everything in the league. Do you do you consider that as an option to continue building moving forward, especially with his health issues? I mean, they maybe they trade him back to LA and get get AD back. Maybe then maybe, <laughs> maybe that's what they'll go and do. Get, get, get another get another cripple back on the team there. Yeah, happy happy, happy days. They never wanted them to go. You can bring them back now and get rid of get rid of that Zion fella. But I mean, it's it's definitely possible. I hope that. Zion's head is right and he realizes what's going on here in New Orleans and he decides that he wants to be a part of it because you think of possibly a, a starting lineup with uh, Zion, Valanciunas, Ingram, McCollum, possibly uh, uh, Herb Jones. That's that's a, That could be a legit lineup and especially the fact that 
Zion was doing so many good things when he was playing with the big and Stephen Adams last year. Valanciunas is the big, way more suited to Zion's game because of the scoring that he can do mm-hmm. outside. So he would only be in a position to do better if he came back into the, the New Orleans team as things stand. But, but say he doesn't want to. Say he doesn't want to. Like, is, are, there, are there teams out there that would legitimately take the risk of mortgaging? Are there any teams out there that would put together a package that's worth Zion Williamson? Let's start with that. Yeah, hundred percent. There, there are teams that would be be willing to make that move. I think you mentioned the John Collins possibly. I think the Hawks would definitely. I think you could see them trying to make a package, possibly Collins and a, and a couple of first rounders. I think that's something that they maybe consider. It all comes down. Let's say they the team can can do. There's a test done. They can prove that this isn't going to be a, a continuing threat for Zion. He's actually going to be able to come back. Is there some way that they can, <laughs> what? They can do a medical before making a trade? Out of yeah, <laughs> they, they, yeah they, have, they have a lot of crystal ball readers there in New Orleans. Yeah, they ask one of them and they'll tell you, Zion will never get injured ever again. Make this trade. Yeah, like you, you kind of almost want to do a medical, but he's definitely still worth taking the chance, especially if you're kind of a better team as well, I think. You look at possibly, obviously, the Warriors and the Suns were two that were mentioned by by uh, by clutch points and their their uh, their thoughts. But they're definitely two teams that could build a package, and it would definitely be worth the risk that you're taking with a guy who has shown his injury problems. But people always like to make this comparison. Maybe they'll just have to have the hope that Philly did with Embiid. You know, all the injuries he had in his first few seasons. Hopefully, it's a it's a similar sort of thing with Zion. He can come in and be that generational guy that we, that the Pelicans thought they were getting when uh, when they drafted him. That she had a parade when they when they got the number one draft pick. He was the, the most hyped guy since LeBron James. And unfortunately, injuries maybe injuries with the uh, air quotes around them there have uh, have stunted his uh, his growth as a player in this league, but. I think there's definitely teams that will look at him and Golden State, they're looking to be able to, they're just a really steady franchise, really good franchise at the moment, but their core players are getting a bit older. They've got a few good young guys. If they threw a package that maybe possibly Wiseman and Kaminga, Wiseman and Moody, and maybe a, a first rounder or two for Zion Williamson, that could be a, that could be an unbelievable deal if, if they can work something like that. I don't know. I do I say yes to that? I don't see the thing is like last year, I'd say immediately yes, immediately yes, immediately yes, yes, yes. Give me that package. But if I if I'm if I'm the Warriors and the and you call me right now and you say I'll give you Zion for all that, I don't know. I don't know. I pause. I think hard, but I pause. I don't immediately say yes. Because I think to myself, okay, Kaminga's looked awesome. He's on a lot, a lot of great things uh, in a tertiary role. And he could be, he could be like the next, I mean, he's got that Andre Iguodala body. He's got the defense and and we haven't seen enough from Wiseman. I don't know what if he ends up being great. Moody, I still, I invest a lot into him. I think the fact that I can think about those things and be like, I don't know if it's worth risking for Zion and picks that I think that speaks to it. I, I, 
I don't say yes right away. I, I think hard about it, but I might say no. I probably say no. So I, I think I'm more confident in developing those three guys than I am in Zion staying healthy. Yeah. And what, what about the Hawks? And I think the Hawks deal, I mean, it, it comes down to, I don't think it's just Collins. I think it would have to be Collins, Hunter, picks. Like it's, it's Zion we're talking about. So, and, and the Pelicans aren't going to sell him lower than a star ransom. Maybe not a superstar ransom, but definitely a star ransom. Yeah. And you definitely, I think you definitely get a more favorable package coming from the Eastern Conference rather than, than the West. That's one thing yeah. that I will definitely say. Well, the Hawks are interesting. So, like, would you would you tear down the current infrastructure? Because, look, you already gave up on Cam Reddish because he already doesn't want to be there. Okay, fine. We'll, we'll make room for other people. And that has to be, like, one of, like, the worst, like, moments of karma. Like, the, the, the Hawks fans are probably like, oh, okay, so you just don't want to be here? Want to go somewhere else? All right, go have fun with tips. Go, go have fun riding the bench. <laughs> what, his, his minutes have what, like, been cut into, like, a million pieces? Like, what is he getting, like? He's getting some DNPs. He's, he's probably, yeah, he's getting DNPs. Has he even played? He's, he's, he's not played a significant minutes in a single game yet. I, I haven't seen anything out of him. Like, I I, I, I'm fairly certain he hasn't even got close to doing double digits in a game yet. That's, oh, that's insane. That's absolutely insane. And I, I don't know. That's a whole other topic for another day. Mm-hmm. But what, what I'm saying is, like, the, the Hawks have had this whole plan with, with building their wings with, with Trey Young. Do they ditch all of that now for like a Zion move? Do they ditch Hunter? Do they ditch Collins? Do they ditch picks and they probably another young player to pair Trey Young with Zion? Is, is that something that they would do? They, I think they consider it a lot more now after they had the big year and they thought, okay, this is the breakthrough moment. They give Collins the contract and then it all breaks down a bit this year. I think it's something they mm-hmm. would consider a lot more after the difficult year that they've had. Obviously, they know Trey is the guy, and it's about giving him the best shot to to compete. Just a question of is it is Zion worth mortgaging possibly your future, mortgaging kind of all a lot of a lot of good pieces that you have right now, or do you try to to make a, some more shrewd moves that are a bit more economical? Yeah, Hawks. Well, we'll we'll talk about them more some other time. But they're tenth right now. Wouldn't be crazy to think about the future. They're two games below five hundred. Um, but yeah, the the sign the sign thing is interesting. Everyone's gonna always be looking for when's that next star gonna move on. And I don't think it's crazy for the Pelicans to at least think about it because it's at the point now where I'm not sure if I'm if I'm an opposing GM, you send me that trade. Uh, I'm not saying yes right away. And I, I, you target the Warriors, maybe. You target a team like the Hawks. Um, even a team like the, the Hornets, who are ripe with young talent. A team like Detroit, ripe with young talent. I mean, maybe they – and they're also bad. So their picks are worth a lot more. Yeah. But I hope it doesn't come down to that. I, I, I would hate to see New Orleans be stripped of, of their star – and you want to see them thrive there. You want to see this market come to light and do something great because they haven't had the chance to. I mean, Anthony Davis fizzled out there. That ended up being nothing. You thought you had something with him and DeMarcus Cousins. And then, of course, that all goes to shit. Anthony Davis forces his way out. And then you finally get this glimmer of hope in Zion. And from what we saw from him last year, like this is supposed that this the way the story should end is Zion comes back, focused next year, healthy, 
They just spent a whole year developing all these guys who are going to be able to help him next year. And they brought in a veteran in CJ and Brandon Ingram at this point, he is a veteran and, and he is an all-star caliber player. you got two all-star caliber scorers around him. And if you guys, and they have the defense too, they've been developing defensively. And that's been a huge issue with Zion teams uh, in the limited time he's played. So there's just, there's a formula for this to work. If he just comes back and commits to this team and, I hope that's how it ends. Yeah, let's get at least a year. Let's at least get next season of an, an honest year with Zion in this lineup, and let's see if, if it's if it's got the potential that it looks like it does. It does on paper because there's definitely a potential there. You slot Zion into this current uh, Pelicans lineup, and, and you got something legit there, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. Well, guys, thanks for sticking around with us. We've we've rambled on long enough. So it's always plenty to ramble on about when you have such good games over the over the weekend and random clutch point articles, which actually made for good conversation. So thanks, clutch points, even though it's, it's usually hot garbage. But at any rate, guys, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you later. Go Bulls tonight. We gotta get this playing against the Heat, man. It, it's gonna be big, big it's gonna game, bring me tears. Game. But we'll see you next time, guys. Peace out. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Coast to Coast. Don't forget to hit us up on Instagram and Twitter at Coast to Coast NBA Podcast to hear your takes discussed right here on the show. And remember, take every shot and love every moment.